This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome to the My Old Man Said podcast. I'm David Michael, the editor of MyOldManSaid.com and your host. Joining me to uh, celebrate Villa's, is it three wins in the last 14 Premier League games at the moment? That man, Something what, like that, yeah. It's a, bit, a big time in the history of the club, I think, this period that we're going through. Another defining <laughs> era. <laughs> <laughs> Joining me to discuss this and more, Mr. Phil Shaw, Mr. Chris Budd. Welcome. Hello, Mike. how are you? Have you noticed somebody's missing from last week's show? That fair weather f- fan. He's uh, in Germany. Well, actually, he's in Belgium right now, I think. He's on his little Is European he? tour. Oh, good. So he's got an excuse. Yeah, he's, he's en route to Berlin the long way. We can't accuse him of uh, only only being here for the good times. He only <laughs> sings when that, he's winning. If that Everton game was uh, the good times. Coming up in the show, we will go through all the latest filler news. We will uh, also uh, have a look further afield than the Villaverse in the three points. Before seeing what's in the, the media Muppet trough this week... And then going into uh, the game in uh, greater detail. Hopefully we will talk more sense than Anthony Joshua did after his uh, loss to uh, Alexander Usyk in the uh, the boxing. Latest loss. Did you watch that? I did not, know. I did indeed. Yes, his latest loss indeed. I mean, the fireworks were after the fight. Uh, yeah, pity I missed that. I just turned it off and went to sleep <laughs> as, soon as, it, as soon as it was over, as soon as the hand was raised. You missed throwing the belts out of the ring, storming off, getting halfway, coming back, crying in the press conference after. We've all been there. We've all <laughs> Stephen Gerrard's getting there. He's he'll, yeah. he'll be there soon if he carries on like this. He'll be crying as badly as Matt Target. Well, uh, I think Joshua was crying even uh, worse than uh, Target. To be honest with you, right? Uh, let's uh, let's get into the news. I mean, we could talk more about uh, AJ's uh, defeat, or uh, we can get stuck into the Villa news. I'd say the Villa news, mate. Let's not dwell on this uh, heavyweight flop. 
<laughs> oh, I mean, I, I'm a I'm a sick man anyway, so I didn't mind. Uh, right, Villa news. top of the tree uh, after another loss uh, they had to uh, distract people so they c- came up with this almost like a ghost transfer that came out of the mist of uh, Villa supporters desperate need for transfers the 25 million pound winger is- Ismila Saar from Watford who uh, within uh, 24 hours uh, disappeared without a trace. I mean, a little bird uh, tells me uh, behind the scenes that uh, this was very close to happening. Watford uh, were almost going to announce it on Saturday, uh, apparently. And uh, Saar had actually uh, driven up north from uh, London to uh, the Midlands. Uh, I don't know how true that is, but uh, seems to be uh, why the notion of uh, Saar having a medical was out there. But uh, alas, not uh, it, that it fell through. Uh, it seems to be on personal terms, uh, maybe character of the player. Uh, we don't know. But uh, in terms of the, the principle of it, uh, I mean, what, what, what's your thoughts on him if he was going to come? I mean, individually, good player. Would he make us better? Maybe. Um, where would we play him? Fuck knows. <laughs> um, <laughs> is it exactly what we need right now? Debatable. But you know, just can he play? Can he play as an eight? Can he play centre back? <laughs> the latest <laughs> Aston Villa ambassador to Turkey is uh, Bertrand Traore, who has been uh, pictured at the airport wearing a scarf from uh, Istanbul. Besaksa here, where uh, Trezeguet uh, has been, so maybe he got five percent of the loan deal. Hmm. Who knows? Not a feeder club like the regurgitator club. Dumper club. The Dumper. dumping ground. <laughs> it's uh, so, uh, so at the moment, Villa essentially spend big bucks on players to then farm them out to the, the Turkish Dentist League, is what we're calling this one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we buy from the French Farmers League, put massive funds into the French Farmers League, and then... Uh, Destroy them in the British Premier League. Take their souls and then uh, ship them out to uh, the Turkish Dentist League. I would say with all due respect to those leagues, but uh, I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) You just did give them all due respect. I give them big, massive respect for giving us some kind of uh, fee for these players that we send their way, just for taking them off our hands. Uh, Meanwhile, it's back to business for Villa as they go uh, up northwest to Bolton. The allocation of uh, around 5,200 has been a sellout. Did these people know that it doesn't count to booking history? I'm going to go with no. <laughs> <laughs> That's how they get you. But still, it's the away experience. Yeah. I think because it's obviously the you know summer holidays and whatever. Yeah. It's just a shame it's not uh, a bit more uh, exciting than Bolton. What, but, like Barrow uh, last year? Hey-ho. <laughs> well, I was thinking more like Brighton or somewhere exciting. Elsewhere, the under-21s, have, uh, they're up and running. Uh, uh, Feeney scored for them, but unfortunately they lost 2-1 at home against Leeds. I actually saw the, I watched a, a bit of the end of that, actually. They're in Premier League 2 at the moment. So, so it's just a cautionary tale there. That on Twitter, it seems that youth is the future. We've got a great youth setup, but we are in the second tier in the under-21s. So uh, be warned. Coming up uh, this week, 
I uh, will be attending the latest filler fan consultation group meeting, uh, which is about consultation on the club crest or the future club crest, shall we say. And also we've been told there's a new uh, North Stand development update as well. So uh, brace yourself uh, for the information uh, from that meeting uh, later in the week. Right. Time for Media Muppets. Right then, Phil, what's in the trough? The trough of... Uh, it's not journalism anymore, is it? I don't know what to call it. I don't know what to call it either, but it's it's not even journalist anymore because it's, it's the permanent VAR referee, Mike Dean, this week, who decided oh. to use a column in the Daily Mail to say he made a mistake. Now, there's some cracking lines in this. So the first one is, sometimes in hindsight, you realize you could have acted differently. I've now had time to reflect. Now, hold on, Mike, is that not the point of VAR? You have time to look at it. You, you have time to reflect on the decision and, and do it right then. It is a reflection on the initial decision, is it not? It should be. And he goes, I can't go back 44 seconds to look at Benton Kerr's foul and Kai Havertz. But that's exactly what you can do, Mike, if you're VAR. You are, you are God. You have the power to do what you want, especially if it's relevant to the decision. This, so why, why can't he go back on it? Just He just says he can't. He just That's what he says. And then this one is the best one. In the few seconds I had to study Romero pulling Curell's hair, I didn't deem it a violent act. What game is this? This was from Chelsea against um, Tottenham last week. Just try doing that to someone in the street and see how it goes, Mike. I know you don't have any hair, but I mean, some people that have hair don't like it being pulled. And then this one here, the famous one, I've since studied the footage, spoken to other referees, and upon reflection, should have asked Anthony Taylor to visit the monitor to take a look for himself. So it just begs the age-old question, how many referees does it take to make a decision? I mean, as if being paid a healthy wage to be a VAR permanent referee isn't enough, and then being paid to write a column but the Daily Mail to say how you know, you've made a mistake, to own up to your mistake. It's not smug enough. Mike finishes with, disappointing for me as this was one incident incident and an otherwise very good weekend from our officials. There were some perfectly officiated games elsewhere, like Liverpool against Crystal Palace, which capped a great weekend of Premier League football. It's almost, you can almost hear the, the smugness out of him. So if this is the accountability and like communication from the PGMOL afterwards, I don't think I want to hear it. Villa Crystal Palace, another perfectly uh, refereed game, wouldn't you agree? No. Ooh. <laughs> well, we'll discuss that later on. But Phil, but Phil, it's all right sticking the boot in and poor uh, Mike Dean. But what about you know the mental health traumas of uh, being a VAR uh, referee? I'm still thinking about the mental health traumas that Mike Dean has caused me over how many years he was actually on the pitch. <laughs> We're even. Oh uh, yeah, I mean, don't don't they uh, send referees? to the monitor basically if he's going to the monitor that normally means uh, the decision is going to change isn't it because they're recommending him uh, it's almost like it's it's done and the referee's almost under pressure to do it so it's very rarely they'll say yeah i've looked yeah i don't agree they Fair. normally go with the flow because yeah. they normally say i recommend you look at it anyway I, I'm, I'm almost desensitized to uh var now it's not var it's uh i i think var is a perfectly good invention it was it's just the oh, the shambolic uh application of it is just makes my eyes glaze over now all right uh, let's get into these three points uh swifter ones than uh normal point number one UEFA have reported that women's football in Europe could have the commercial value of 578 million a year by 2033. New research by the governing body forecasts a potential sixfold increase in the figure during the next decade. 
the fan base for the game could rise from 144 million to 328 million across that period, according to projections, making the case for investment. I think this is uh, like a call to arms uh, for people to invest, which uh, I think uh, it's it's kind of a no lose uh, in terms of commercial sponsorship and investment. Is uh, doesn't cost as much as the men's games for. A corporate sponsor and also it's like the right thing to do if you know what i mean so you you are uh, aligning yourselves with uh, the virtuous cause so to speak for want of a better term but i think it'll only it'll only the best thing that could have happened because you know england's reasonably central uh, in terms of uh, the football ecosystem in the women's game as well is for england to uh, win that euros and uh, it's going to kick on massively from there as you said, because England have won it, I think the French game appears to be slightly ahead of us. Um, with teams like Lyon that have been relatively dominant, having that European level, Barcelona yeah. obviously very dominant. They're getting sort of ninety thousand at the New Camp for a, for, for the ladies' games. I, I think England. It'll be interesting to see as the season starts how that sort of the snowball from the, the Euros win in terms of attendance. In terms of attendances, yeah. Because the bigger teams have already played in their st- in the you know the, the first team stadiums and the reasonably well at sort of Old Trafford and City etc. Arsenal Villa will be playing at Old Trafford, won't they? Yeah, yeah. and then we've obviously got City, isn't it? First up, which obviously yeah. is, is quite a big chunk of the England team are in that side. Yeah, so I'll be interested to see what kind of turnout that is. I think it needs to be in front of the eyeballs more. I mean, it, it is getting more and more, but that was the, the, the joy of the Euros. It was it was prime time. It was on yeah. and you did watch it and you realised that, you know, it is, it is much more enjoyable than the men's game currently is. Right. Uh, point number two, uh, Chelsea uh, have come up with the idea of using QR codes on the back of seats to identify and ban supporters found to be using discriminatory language. The first case, really, was uh, Son, wasn't it, when uh, Spurs played them? Yeah. After a season ticket holder was banned for uh, abusing Son verbally. So these are these QR codes on the back of every seat. So you've kind of, the person who's been uh, racially abusive, you run over to their seat and scan it in. Yeah, you'd hope it was the person directly behind, but I mean... (laughs) <laughs> you're yeah. going to get, get the right area aren't you you're going to get a rough area so you're like 100 people going right that's not I can't have that and they run out 100 people surround him trying to get a uh, get that QR code scanned in but I, I just put some tape over it surely that's what uh, somebody would do to block it off or is it or can you just scan in any seat you can just scan in anything that does give the option of text as well. Now it's like it's a bit like anything else. It's, it's probably open to abuse. So if there's somebody that's maybe too tall or you know blocking your view in front of you, you could always do that, and then they wouldn't they wouldn't <laughs> be there the next game. Yeah, ah, uh, that's one way to get rid of the twat at the back, isn't it? <laughs> well, somebody might get rid of me if I'm uh, blocking their view in front of them. This is true, David. Point number three: A schoolboy from the Isle of Wight has become the youngest goalscorer in the 151-year history of the FA Cup. Finn Smith scored for Newport in a 3-1 extra preliminary round win against Fleet Town a day after his 16th birthday. You have to be 16 to play in the FA Cup, so this record, uh, unless somebody actually scores on their birthday, it's uh, he's going to be holding on to that for a long time, isn't he? Fair play. Yep. Just anybody scoring for Villa in the FA Cup would be good. <laughs> 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 we don't we don't care about being the youngest. All right, let's get into this uh, Crystal Palace uh, affair. On paper, always going to be a tough game. I think uh, they are improving under Vieira. I mean, we 
played them obviously last season. It was in the infancy of Vieira's takeover, but Vieira seems to be very clean and concise in uh, how he's kind of got his team together. I like him. A bit like Eddie Howe, a bit unlike uh, somebody else uh, I could mention. <laughs> uh, in terms of, yeah, of course. <laughs> in terms of uh, lineup changes, uh, the I think the main intrigue really was to see who uh, got the nods to replace Carlos out of Conza and Chambers. It was uh, Conza. Buendia came in, Bailey came in instead of uh, Coutinho and Ings. I think people were reasonably happy. I think this is the thing. It's like this collection of individuals. It all it looked good on a, on a, on paper. It was obviously a change of shape, wasn't it, from being a bit more uh, attacking than we were. So in you the had Everton a bit of game, pace yeah. on the break, didn't you, with Bailey? So you understood him coming in. Buendia, no complaints there, considering uh, how he performed against Everton when he came on. Although I did fear we'd get demolished down the our right hand side, and we kind of did. As Bailey doesn't exactly like to track back, and Cash got doubled yeah. down on by. Uh, well, everyone. But I mean, it was it was uh, it was end to end from the from Perfect the start, start, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, and a box office sort of twenty minutes, half an hour before the game calmed down a little bit, and then Palace took control. But for the first, you know, twenty minutes, it was a great game for the neutral. Yeah, I mean, when we when we scored, you thought, well, well, this isn't us on the way to victory comfortably because it was so end to end basketball style. That, yeah. But it was good to draw first blood, and uh, you know, it all started from a Mings uh, pass out the back, Bailey quick header. And, and a brilliant finish. Uh, Watkins latches onto it and dispatches it. And you think that's, you know, this is that's kind of how we hit Manchester City, isn't it? By being a bit more direct yeah. and purposeful. Yeah. And this is what happens when they're a bit more relying on instinct rather than uh, trying to overthink it. So we'll get onto overthinking things uh, when we talk about the set pieces. Uh. Yeah, and it, it, it carried on as well because I mean, in the next minute they could have they could have scored again. I mean, there was I think Cash was an acre to remote out in the right hand side, but his cross didn't come in. But then um, Buendia managed to pick up the loose ball and took it into the box. But and then he thought he was fouled, but he was just sort of like nudged over. And then from that disaster. Yeah, I mean, they obviously knew the way to get at us because of our fullbacks bombing forward is that counter cross kind of cross-ball counter. Would you put it back down to that? It was just an early ball from the back. We got caught out, bad positioning. Cash got sucked in towards the ball. And you think once Zahar is away, you fancy him. But Konza should be closing that down. He shouldn't be able to get a shot off He didn't have a great game, if I'm honest. He didn't exactly stake a claim when most people would have said, "Mm, probably play Chambers. A top centre-back doesn't really allow him to get a shot off there, or Zahar would have to beat him to get a shot off there. He should be like shepherding him wider from that position. Or you just try and go through him early, you hit him as early as you can. Take the foul, take the yellow early in the game. I mean, if you're not committing yourself early, and you know it is a bit tricky against Zahar, then you are taking him out wide. And uh, yep. it's, I don't know, it's just a bit casual for my for, for my money. I mean, I think when he gets into position, it's actually a very good finish from him. You have to kind of so fair yeah. play when he gets into that position, but he, should he get into that position? Debate. No, no. Yeah. You, you just see it happen. It's like somebody's going to stop and somebody else is going to get back. But it's like the two of them were Konza and Zaha were completely on their own until they got the Martinez. I don't know where the rest of the team were. I mean, Cash once Cash got beat, he didn't. He this is, this is the thing. It comes down to this in Villa. It should be they should be doing things. You know, there should be communication between the two players involved in these situations. It should be if Cash gets beat, you know, we should either you know run round to try and do something, block it off, or or Konza takes some wide and Cash 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 comes inside. It's just yeah. it's it's very individual. Yeah, they're not working as a team to nullify the threat. 
little instruction between them, and uh, yeah, it was avoidable. Uh, I mean, yes, good finish, but he shouldn't be getting that shot off. Yeah, he just ran the straight line. There was no ushering out wide at all. I mean, that's the thing. You, like you said, you force him out wide, or you, you do something to hold him up. Usually, you hear the commentators say, "Oh, he's he's, he's waiting on support here. He's waiting on support." He didn't even yeah, didn't even yeah. get to that. It was just like straight line run goal. Yeah. After after Zahar's goal at Anfield in the week, he, he was confident once he got into the position. I thought he actually had a pretty good game for them. But he was fired up from the yeah, uh, from the off. Confident. And, uh, Are they all did? I think they all. People will call him names and everything and give him shit, but you think in uh, that's how you want him. That's how you want him fired up at the start yep. and giving people aggro and uh, the referee stick and whatever. That's what you want. You want that intensity in your players. Yeah, and it's. Very rare that that lacks, to be honest. And when we do have aggression, it tends to be rather headless. Of which, again, you know, lost our heads. We've scored early, you know, just like the Everton game. You know, you're, you're susceptible just after you've scored, and we switched off again. Now, there's a lot little narratives already developing this early in the season, and it's and they're not good ones in terms of mentality and mindset. But we had the warning shot earlier, of course, because we had the you know the uh, they they were you know, they were two one up not long after. Luckily, it got yeah. chalked off for um, for VAR. But frankly, you know, it's probably a little bit harsh on them. It was the right decision, but they were unlucky because you think but actually it was Villa's the run of the game, wasn't it? Yeah, wasn't Villa's it? defending was so shite at the time. You thought, well, actually, Villa are getting what they deserve. I was thinking. Uh, I mean, I was thinking before the game. This we could get hammered here today. That's one of uh, the potential results here. I mean, something for the weekend. We were saying uh, take a draw, really, with one all draw. You know, but that's presuming that Villa start to actually evolve and start to play well. And uh, because if you look at the par. Of the fixtures, you would the minimum is always like for the for the par easy fixture away, you say a point without getting too excited. Uh, so you're looking at Bournemouth again, yeah, okay, point par. You should be beating Everton at home since where they are in the league uh, last season, and then you look at the Palace result and you're thinking, well, yeah, you know, lower half team point away from home. So it's the same five points. That's kind of what I was hoping for before the season. But I was looking at this Palace game, thinking we could if if Palace carry on how the way they've been playing, this could be their game to uh, catch fire because they've they've had to play Arsenal and Liverpool. And it kind of felt that way, didn't it? Where they did, they yeah, because you can't really see how good they are when they're playing like the top, you know, the very top opposition in the league. And didn't have so, much of the ball, of course, in those games. Yeah, so you're thinking, oh, we'll find out how good Palace are. And it, it was a bit of a late VAR call on their their second that second goal, wasn't there? And and who was at fault for that? That was McGinn wasn't coming out. Conza was a bit casual. It's another and poor then, team goal. It's another set piece. Yeah, guy runs behind the back of McGinn. And McGinn's kind of looking at the ball rather than uh, the man that he's going to pick up the run of. And he just completely runs around the back and then McGinn's trying to blame it on the defence when uh, blatantly it was him. I mean, Nanny McPhee is not sharing himself in glory with the current start to the season of these set pieces because defensively in all three games we have looked absolutely pathetic. Every time we get a set piece, a corner or a free kick or anything, you think... Well, something's going to happen here. Yeah, Palace had a, the Villa had a warning as well because Palace had a corner early doors, and it was you know free header right in the penalty spot, and uh, he just sort of made a mess of it. It was interesting when uh, after the game when they were talking transfers with Gerard in the press conference, and Gerard said uh, he used the words uh, "We're always looking for marginal gains at Aston Villa." Now that is exactly the words that Dean Smith said when they got uh, Austin McPhee in. Was you know marginal games? It's important. So I'm, I'm thinking this is almost like uh, it's the book of book of Villa now that they're all preaching out of. Mm. This is like Lang language, I think, because Lang and Gerard's, Perslow, yeah. 
because sometimes Gerard's using the same vernacular as uh, Smith has said, and I'm, I'm sorry, but they're completely, you know, this is more than a coincidence. It's, um, I don't know what his contract is, and but at the moment, I, I don't see it. And, uh, you know, later on, uh, jumping ahead to, I don't know, it's about 15 minutes to go, we had a free kick. It was when Coutinho and Louise were on the pitch. And Coutinho, Louise, and McGinn, I think there was three Villa players standing around the ball to take this free kick. One does a decoy run one way, one does a decoy run the other way, and then the person left behind runs to take it and then realizes he's got no idea what he's going to be doing and stutters. <laughs> and then there's like a recovery, like, or, you know, just to save face, he just passes it sideways. You know, everybody's kind of lined up on the edge of the 18, ready to take a, you know, like a diagonal ball header on the far post or whatever. And he just passes it sideways and it just amounts to nothing. But that was an example of wasted opportunity of a set piece because of indecision with the player, not really knowing clearly what they're going to be doing. We're, we're going over old ground. Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies, I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. <laughs> I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show yeah. is absolutely yeah. incredible. Or anime. Yeah, and under this sure. mask is another mask. <laughs> you can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts, and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Picture the scene. All of your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order mug delivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Yeah, but it's 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 happening week in, week out, isn't it? I think we're a couple, a couple of, yeah, we're a couple of games away from the note in the sock again. It's just like, <laughs> set pieces is one thing. The general narrative amongst, and you you know, you scroll down, you sort of Twitter it, through the game, after the game. and But you know, you're know, you always going to get the rant, you know, the sort of the rants and the meltdowns and you expect that, but... Even your more mod- moderate Villa fans on there are kind of saying, "What on earth is the plan here?" There is no, even the more like let's say the more reserved. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, yeah. you know, I, I I kind of was having a, I've had a bit of fun over the last few you days kind of just to, to, just for my own amusement because you you are you, you're actually shocked. Like, how can it be this bad? And you've had your own like a full preseason. You've got your yeah. guys in there. You're like. What the hell are you doing? And by the way, this is, uh, we had a nice start, uh, you know, to carry on from the preseason, play Bournemouth, Everton, uh, especially at home, and then Palace. You would you would take that if you had to play two away games, because obviously we were uh, Commonwealth gaming. So the first 
game yeah. was always going to be an away game. Yeah. I mean, and it's one of these ones where, as always, you wouldn't mind the defeat in isolation kind of is what it is. If you saw patterns of play or progress or you think, right, we can see what the plan is here. When this clicks, this will be brilliant. But he's been yeah. here long enough now where you kind of go, well, it's clicked a few times and it was great against, let's be brutally honest, in those games where we clicked, the opposition were dreadful. We're completely yeah. passive and let us play. It's like, is Gerard's game plan that we're at 100% and if the opposition aren't, then we're all right? Like, are we relying on the opposition being shit? To get that results. was the thing. I mean, we we clearly identified it uh, in last week's uh, podcast after the Everton game on uh, social media. You've got people saying uh, Kamara's the you know the Messiah, the second coming, and then you know on the podcast we were saying, "Whoa, whoa, hang on a minute!" He hasn't been tested yet. Everton didn't even look in his direction when he was on the ball. They let him come all the way into their own half. Yeah. Nobody challenged him in the Villa's half at all. Palace just bypassed him easiest game he'll ever have and uh, it was almost inconsequential in the in the Palace game I mean it was essentially one of those where and Gerard kind of alluded to it in his post-match but it was lost completely in the dugout Vieira just flattened him from a yeah. management and an intellectual point of view you know Vieira's got the right personnel a good system they know their plan they had a very defined style and they executed their plan and you have to kind of hold your hands up and say Palace were clearly better than us on the day. And we had no answers, but it, it just the narrative seems to be that Gerard doesn't seem to ever have an answer. They either go out and they play well and they maybe get a result, but when things aren't going for him, he either sits and sulks, makes excuses, bearing in mind I am now calling him Mr. No Excuses Culture. You've got to find an answer because that's why you're getting paid. That's why you were brought here. What, what angered me about it was if you look at Gerard's second game last season, it was away at Crystal Palace, technically a worse Aston Villa team beat a better Crystal Palace team because Crystal Palace had Conor Gallagher who was like in the star of their season yeah, point, in yeah. full flow Villa were you know they had McGinn they had El Ghazi setting McGinn up for the winner and you know and target scoring the first goal I mean Jared has improved that Villa team on paper but the, the, there was like a night and day performance because that was one of their best performances last season against Palace away that game they were solid weren't they in those first what, four four games when he was getting results they were solid hitting teams on the break and and Picking their moment when to go. I highlighted uh, in Match Club and also uh, on Twitter uh, Vieira's program notes, which I read before the game. And uh, there's a there's a couple of passages, and he's basically just simplifying things. He said you can play with five at the back, or three at the back, with three strikers or one striker. It doesn't matter. What's important is a player's animation, knowing their role and responsibilities. I've never heard of players' animation that term before, but knowing their role and responsibilities is the key thing. And you know, at the very start of his notes, he says uh, there are some attributes of the game that are non-negotiable: commitment, hard work, togetherness, and competitiveness and across all those uh, whether it's knowing their roles and responsibilities I mean you know all these free kicks we keep talking about where they haven't got a clue this goes back to Smith's time doesn't it with the notes ever since McPhee's come into the house there's not clarity there and he's right it doesn't matter what formations in terms of uh, setups or whatever. If a player doesn't know what role he's actually playing in the team, uh, any formation's not going to work. And that's clear as day because those defenders don't know who they're picking up. They're you know asleep at times, so they're lacking that kind of commitment and uh, togetherness. We've already talked about that with the Conza and Cash situation. And these are the fundamentals, and this is what's really concerning. And I don't know, we, I think we, we kind of pulled together... Under Smith, uh, after the the lockdown period, which we you know we kind of had to to escape relegation, so there was a real uh, there was a real mission there 
But since that, at the start of the season, these players, you know, we've got a couple of big signings in every year and they're thinking in their minds, yep, you know, the budget's in their top eight behind closed doors. It's like, yep, top eight, top seven. They're almost thinking like that's what we're going to achieve because you look around, I look around, you know, every player's thinking, I look around training every day. We've got, oh, Martinez over there, you know, our Argentinian uh, Copper America winner. We've got Coutinho here. Yeah, we should easily get Europe. And it's almost like they're, they're thinking it's happened already. We've actually put in the hard work. Yeah, and that just probably sums it up very well because the the, the players that you have in, I mean, there, there's no there's no way that you shouldn't be able to pick a combination of 11 or those that can play even even the simplest, like a 4-4-2. You know, every, everybody that's ever watched football knows how to pick a team into a 4-4-2 and get them to play in a 4-4-2. Yet, they're just put in there and you know we've we've talked about the midfield for what two years now or more and it's still yeah. it's still the main problem and i mean it's like mcginn and ramsey are both in there i mean i think everybody can probably agree it should be mcginn or ramsey in there and there should be another, yeah. another one and it's just banging your head against the wall again and again i mean mcginn you know i've if, if you've if you've been clever enough to read but in between the lines of anything i've written about mcginn as captain and this uh, notion that Gerard's going to rely on him to level up to solve the midfield situation, which suggests because I, I think it was open season on whether McGinn starts. If you you're looking at a team to get into Europe, then his place would be under threat, m- mainly because of the talent that you've got in the team to play. Let's say further forward, because everybody said you've got yep. to get McGinn further up the pitch. So that suggests, I, you know, no problem with that. I agree with that. Does that mean? But you need a proper number eight in there. You need a proper centre midfielder. And the only time they've really tried to address that is when they bought Morgan Sanson. That was the only time they thought, oh, here we go. We've got some. You know, we're getting somebody in with bite and uh you know box to box man and i think that's the the profile you probably need i mean you could build a team uh you could argue like two like kamara and somebody else sitting next to him whether it's louise or if you need a you know a different kind of version of uh a deep lying midfielder then that's fair enough but uh but it's one of those two or uh, you know somebody can play both you know gerard says that Kamara can play both positions so you know let's even say two Kamaras but I don't see McGinn as that man I saw him he's not that disciplined centre midfielder at one stage of this game early doors he was in he was right in the right hand side corner flag of the opposition's half and then uh, it lost the ball there and then they've suddenly counted and we we were missing you know one of our centre midfielders it it didn't exactly uh, run back super quick and get back into position at all same thing happened actually against Everton I remember yeah. around in the right sort of in the right wing position and didn't get back yeah he's somebody who doesn't seem to be disciplined in in where he's holding his position mostly no and if you look at Palace's third goal which was a, a well-worked move but again it's it's so simple you you have McGinn and you have Cash both going to the man on the ball he just drops it into Zaha who puts it around the corner and then three of them are out of the game then after that, it's a great cross in and finish. But McGinn's like hesitant. It's like he doesn't know. He's either not going or he's going at the same times as right back instead of letting the right back do it. There's there's a real confusion over, like you said, his animation, what he's expected to do. I don't think he knows what he's expected to do other than, you know, get in there and try hard. Yeah. My thing just overall with Villa, it's kind of like the, the theme of the calendar year, certainly from the players and Gerard especially. Is I, I think I tweeted it during the game that they look, they have looked for months and months and months, really, as, as Phil had said in a previous show about once Gerard got that little mini pre-season to put his own stamp on the team, really since then, they either can't execute the plan Gerard is asking them or they don't believe it. 
they're like, actually, do you know what? We don't know if we're capable of this. And that's on the manager. You know, you look at, we mentioned other clubs, you know, your Brentfords, Newcastles, teams like that. Inferior personnel, but the manager's instilled some belief that, okay, this is the plan. It's a simple plan and we know we can execute this well. It almost feels like he's trying to say, actually, I want us to play like Liverpool. I want to play like Man City. I want to do something that the players just maybe don't believe in fully. And you can see that they, they either don't buy into it or they're just like, actually, you're trying to get us like 10% ahead of our ability. And you're just it's relying like, on us like all having a good game every week. And you're not going to do that. Your players aren't going to be, you know, you aren't going to have 11 guys at 100% every week. Remember when uh, Dean, it was obvious that Dean Smith wanted to instill the playing out the back uh, yeah. situation. And at the start, you know, we, when we were talking about this, uh, they were making mistakes. And uh, I mean, probably to this day, they still are. Uh, but we were saying, well, you know, you look at uh, when Pep took over at Barcelona, exactly the same thing happened. It was a change of culture. And Barcelona were giving away games, uh, sorry, giving away goals, trying to play out the back. But it's you have to practice in game and then you get better. And then hopefully once you've mastered it, obviously you need a level of player to achieve this. And only the top, top teams. And, you know, there's a reason why Manchester City go and spend ridiculous amounts on fullbacks and, you know, the defenders per se, because there's not that many ball playing uh, top notch uh, centre backs out there. But you need people to be very comfortable on the ball. And that's kind of why Carlos uh, came in. But at least you could see what Villa were trying to do in that respect. You thought, yeah, okay, Dean Smith wants to play out the back and maybe we haven't got the players to do it or maybe they just need to make more mistakes until they learn how to do it. Yeah, it's all part of the process. But here, this this still. Uh, I mean, maybe we're just dumb, but we we don't know exactly what Gerard's doing apart from you know his wing backs or, or his full backs being dynamic and getting up as quickly as possible. But we've lost so many goals uh, to that because we're being counted, and teams know how we how we play. It's e- we're easy to sucker punch. Well, they know where to, to get at us now. It, you know, in whatever system, I think we, we seem to tweak our forward line in terms of either being two up front and a man behind or a front three or whatever it's going to or one and then three behind, which I think is probably the more effective way. But it's just like, at least if we saw the same system and relatively close to personnel, three, four, five games on the bounce, you kind of go, okay, at least we, he's persevering with this. But when you beat Everton and you've kind of maybe avenged your opening day woes, you kind of think, well, okay, we'll persevere with that, see if it works at Palace. And I, know, and I know you've got to be flexible to your opposition, and that's something that actually Palace do very, very well. But you just wonder if the players are like, well, what's it going to be this week? I just don't know. Is, is it a fact that does Gerard assume that the players are be- either better because he was such a good player? I mean, I'm not going to say anything about his playing career. Is it Does he assume a certain level of ability to take instruction? It's like and, a lack of what empathy it, in it. It's yeah, like, this like is the level before, I was yeah. at, therefore, this is the level it, this has got to be. That's what you'd call a winner's mentality. You know, this is where this is where the bar is set. But there's no evidence of like him looking down and pulling everybody up. It's like now nah, you just shit. You can't do what I'm telling you to do. And to be honest, like he can say that all he wants, and he's kind of thrown a couple of players under the bus quite publicly. He, he definitely gave him a rollicking before he did press uh, yeah. after this game. And he uh, can give him a rollicking all he wants. It. But it's like at certain point, he knows it's on him. At some point, he has to pull them up if they're not doing what he wants. And there's so many, so many you know, times in history, evidence of like guys who were superstar, mani- uh, superstar players that couldn't make it work as a manager for generally that reason. Because when you, we've looked, I mean, we've said this, we've looked at the squad because we're saying like it looks like they're collecting beautiful individuals, but uh, there's no semblance of a team. If you look at the, uh, and it is, it is a, is it a football manager type thing where how you blend your team in terms of football managers, if you've got them, you know, if they speak the same language, if they're the same nationality, 
So they were even doing that quite nicely. You've got yeah. your little group of Brazilians. You've got a, a couple bit of, of money Swedes. You've got, got some couple of French guys in there. You've got your South got American connection, haven't you? couple of Argentinians, even the Polish guy speaks perfect English because he was born here. <laughs> so you've got that kind of, uh, there's connections all the way through the team. So yep. And the squad. So it kind of works on that level. So that's not a problem. You can't say, well, uh, you know, it's just a team of individuals in that respect because they thought about that. It's apparent to blend to blend the squad that way. What they haven't thought about, it seems, is they haven't thought how you blend a squad into a team that actually uh, is fully functional and fits like a glove. I mean, I remember speaking to uh, Steve Round when he was... Uh, director of football Mr. director and uh yes we had a meeting uh a fcg meeting about the villa engine to his credit it was you know it's a great conversation as an interview it would have been a good one and and you would have listened to that interview if you know if you could say it's an interview and you'd have gone oh sound this guy's uh on the you know on the right wavelength completely but obviously what um, in paper it's, it's different in practice or in conversation it's different to execute but one conversation we did have was about this number 8 the the guy who we keep talking about who ticks it over various different profiles you could say of this guy but uh, when we were on that day talking about it that was the kind of player he was looking for for villa he said and he it was proving elusive and at that table I said to him, like a what, like a Kevin Richardson kind of guy, and he he said exactly that. He said that you know that would be perfect what we're looking at. And he said, but those those types of players are few and far between. And I don't think we've got somebody like that. But even it doesn't have to be because uh, he he's quite small in stature as as well, isn't he? He could be like Richardson a bigger too. version, whatever. But he's just almost like somebody who uh, is at the controls of the team, and he's making sure everything's working. If you know what I mean, he's making yeah. sure there's enough oil in the tank. There's enough. He's greasing, the, wheel. greasing the, the wheels. He's greasing the wheels. He's he's looking at you know making sure all the little meters and everything are uh, tick, tickety boo. I think Kamara can be that guy, but he needs someone next to him. But he's also like captainy material as well. Yeah. Someone like you know there aren't that many in the in in, in this country. And the guys that are a brilliant asset. You can say, but the, the best one is probably someone like a Rodri at Man City. Incredible player. But yeah, I mean, uh, a captain in that role would probably sort out Villa. Uh, and I don't think McGinn's that man because he's he's kind of a maverick in what he does is a bit different. And uh, well, I don't know if he, yeah. he's not a leader of men in a, in a uh, I mean, he is a kind of a fun guy and all that kind of stuff, but not in the pr- practical way. The exact reason that Jared gave for taking the captaincy off Mings is the reason that you wouldn't give it to McGinn. They allow him to focus on his own game, to be a better version of himself, yeah. to improve himself. And if you're putting the pressure of the captaincy on him, it's it's not going well. Exactly. It didn't, it didn't make any sense, did it, what he said there? I think with McGinn as well, you, you give him it because you think it's going to make him better, but potentially it just makes him try too hard because he's that kind of personality. He wants to be everywhere, but yeah. he can't be everywhere, especially when you play a top side in the Premier League. If your positional play isn't quite on it, you're just going to be, everyone's going to be looking over their shoulder going, where's John? It was almost like what, what he said there was words for word's sake, because you can say that about any, well, we wanted to give uh, Jacob Ramsey the captaincy, but we wanted him to concentrate on his own game. You think, oh yeah, fair play, fair play. Oh, we were going to give it to Martinez, but we want him to concentrate on his own game. Oh yeah, yeah, fair. It just, you know, you can say it about anybody. So what's the solution? here do you think it would just magically uh, all come together or do you think a big red velvet curtain will open and there'll be this new signing that we never saw coming that will just sort it all out 
Hmm. Uh, nobody's convinced that's going to happen. More, a trap door op- opening, maybe? <laughs> to, to me, I think if something's not working and it might have to be the shape and we need wide men, because that's something we've lacked. I mean, I sit in the upper tier, so you can see things sort of developing beneath it and we just get murdered down the outside. And Cash does pretty well, generally speaking. And Dino, I think, puts a stint in most of the time. But when teams target them individually, they just get pulled apart. We just invite teams on. Because his system last season, uh, towards the end of the season, what he was doing was he would have Ramsey uh, in the centre three, kind of uh, Ramsey on the left-hand side, McGinn on the right. So when a fullback would bomb on, if it was, for example, Cash, then McGinn would like hold back and cover that uh, right-back position and Ramsey would do so on the left. But they're not used to running up and down like a winger would do. A, a winger, a good winger could track back and follow basically the opposition's winger. So you've got like two down that side. And it only it only clicks in for Ramsey or McGinn doing that almost like cover job is if there's a real obvious overlap and Cash is like kind of bombed on, then it's like an obvious check. But there's always that kind of middle ground where they don't know whether to, they should play their own game or drop back to compensate for the, uh, the fullbacks bombing on. And when it's a wide winger, it's a bit more natural for them. It's part of their, you know, it's part of their animation is to, they know if they're up against a, like a Ryan Giggs, that they need to help out the fullback. Well, I mean, you, you look back at sort of when you add Grealish and Target working together as a pair, Grealish would help Target not get isolated because the teams knew that if they bombed men on, Grealish, if once they were past their, their sort of their press or if their fullback was out of position, Grealish would murder them. And yeah. we saw Villa do that quite a few times. I wonder if that's the thinking that actually if you get a SAR who's got that speed and a ball carrier, he can get you up the pitch. And it maybe takes a little bit of the pressure off you in wide areas to say we need... Because Bailey, for example, Saturday when he was playing, he, he sits on the right-hand side, but he always comes inside. You become very, very narrow. Buendia, Coutinho, who drift left, they cut inside. You become narrow. And if the fullbacks can't sort of go round them, you almost become a man light in your attack. Yeah. You never overload the opposition. You all, you're always relying on playing these like beautifully, you know, um, sort of like eye of a needle passes through the middle of the park. And teams know, actually, if you just like, Box Villa in in the middle of the park. McGinn can't play through. Ramsey can't play through. Coutinho couldn't. That's what Everton did. Um, so it might be that they're saying, actually, maybe if we just take a bit of pressure off the fullbacks, we can be more solid at the back. And for example, if you were say to play like a four, two sitters, three and a one, you can say to that front four of potentially say like a Watkins, Buendia, Saar and another, be it Ramsey or Coutinho or whoever it's going to be, you four go and win us the game. Kamara's not going to cross the halfway line. And if it's McGinn next to him, McGinn holds the middle of the park. You can actually have four men, five men behind the ball and only one fullback goes rather than, yeah, both fullbacks need to bomb on. You've overcommitted, which is where the first Palace goal came from. It's just about getting some balance to our shape. It might be a a relatively small tweak fixes it because, as we said, I I don't think it's like, yeah, let's go and buy like people sell to it. Oh, we need five new superstar signings. I don't think it's that. No, that's bullshit. I I think it it is balance, getting the best out of what we've got, which, frankly, that's been my bugbear with Gerrard from day one has been – I can't look down anyone in that squad list. You maybe say Ramsey is better, but I think Ramsey was improving anyway. I don't put that all on Gerard. I don't. I don't see anyone who's kind of come through and gone. Oh wow, Gerard's turned him into, into a world beater all of a sudden. Meanwhile, you've got your Eddie Howes and Vieiras who have yeah. been here, you know, give and take uh, a few months, two or three months, yeah, pretty much the same time. But now Newcastle, uh, who were bringing on, on, you know, let's say we've got a better bench than them, no problem. Yeah, but they believe in their plan. 
they know what they're doing, and so do Palace as well. And look, for, I mean, the big, the bigger example. I don't want to sort of do massive comparisons for the teams. You know, you look at what Howe's done with Jolinton. He's taken him from a, a laughing stock striker who couldn't hit cow's backside with a banjo to all of a sudden said, actually, if I put you in this role, I can get the best yeah. out of you. That's good management. That's good coaching and seeing something that maybe everyone else isn't. And it's it's not necessarily like a money ball thing where you go actually you're 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 you know your stats suggest you'd be better doing this. I just yeah. don't look down Villa's squad and see someone who Gerard's transformed or he's leveled up anyone. Well, it's hard to look down Villa's squad and know, uh, especially going from the midfield upwards, what their defined role is in the yeah. team. I think we can all agree. Um, we can all agree Ramsey's got a lot better, but I think that's Ramsey has just naturally improved. I don't think Gerard has coached it into him. He's maybe given him a bit yeah. of inspiration and gone, believe in yourself, go and win us the game. But I wouldn't say I wouldn't say there's any players who are better for the coaching staff being there. Right. Since we lost, uh, it's kind of a forfeit time. Uh, looking at the uh, the team, if you had to choose one to ship off immediately to the Turkish Dentist League, which one would it be of the Villa players? I'm going McGinn. I'm going McGinn as well. For, for his own good. Yeah, I could make an argument for someone like Konza, but... Oh, yeah, no, he's number two. Because <laughs> Konza had a stinker at Bournemouth and an absolute stinker at Palace. Mm. Um, just for variety, I'm going to say Konza, but frankly, you could pick any number of them after that Palace I'd expect game. Chambers to come in for Konza uh, for the yeah. next game. Yeah. Although, uh, obviously, Chambers may run out against B- Bolton, so that might compromise something but we we shall see yeah and this is your this is your mcginn argument again it's like you, you could say oh i'd expect somebody to come in from mcginn until he sort of like gathers himself or collects himself but he's captain so nobody's coming in for him yeah and that was always the big issue with that captaincy before we go i just want to say a big thank you to uh, the my old man said patrons for supporting the show big thank you especially to rupert Pybud, who uh, signed up as an annual member in the last couple of days. If you sign up uh, as an annual member, you uh, get 10% off, which is just over a free month. So uh, if you want to get uh, ad-free versions of this podcast, plus extra podcast shows and membership of Match Club, where we all meet uh, for away games virtually and uh, it's a community that uh, waits 24 7 and there's always little uh, perks and things but uh, most of all it's uh it's group therapy as we go through uh these uh bumpy periods it's either a teething period of gerard's reign or uh it's going to be a rocky ride uh, for the next few months with west ham who are looking to uh will be looking to readdress their goal difference of minus five at villa park arsenal and manchester city to come it could be uh, an interesting interesting next few weeks for sure once uh, that league table starts to uh, shape up properly if we don't pick up results I think we need a, a result against West Ham I mean if Forest yeah. can beat West Ham surely there's hope for us there but uh, I think West Ham are only uh, a fixture against Villa away from uh, turning teams. things around <laughs> Any final words before we uh, disappear? Please do uh, follow the podcast on whatever social media you use. Uh, it should be at my old man said, and uh, obviously uh, follow it on whatever podcast app you're on as well to get the notifications. Any final words before we uh, run off into uh, the sunset? Not from me. Let's brush this one under the carpet again. Mm. Yeah, it's on me. <laughs> it's on you. So it's, it's down it's to me. Phil that we lost this one. <laughs> Not Gerard. It was Phil Shaw's fault. Don't forget, fault. though, everyone, it's a no-excuses culture. Indeed.
Well, I look forward to the uh, fan consultation group meeting uh, later on in the week. And uh, until I report back from that, it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from them. Goodbye. Goodbye. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.